You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Now today, I'm going to minister to you a powerful message. It's about setting, uh, setting the bar higher in your life. And it really deals with how to use your faith in a way that you'll go higher in the things that God has called you to do in your life. Uh, so often people get saved and they just kind of go to church and I'm going to go to heaven. And they don't realize God wants you to use your faith so that the power of God can be manifested in your family, in your career, whatever you're doing, for his glory. And you have to, at times, raise the bar to it. Now, we started last week, and, and we talked about the importance of renewing the mind to the Scriptures. And I want to look at that verse one more time. So put it up on the screen, if you would. And uh, It says this, And do not be conformed to this world. Say it with me. I'm not going to get conformed to this world. Say it again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, it says that, and you know, normally I don't really even preach on this because it just seems common sense. I want to renew my mind to the word and not let the world determine how I think and what I do. Amen? But we live in a culture, it's unbelievable, all... Uh, people in churches, Christians, that are confused about some issues that are crystal clear in Scripture, like homosexuality, lesbianism, the identity crisis, the transgender, all that kind of stuff. And we got to make sure that we don't allow the world to determine the way we think. Now, people say, well, pastor, there's no Scriptures on that. The Bible's full of it. You just didn't read it. Give me, let me give you a couple of references. Romans chapter 1, and let me say this. I believe in helping sinners, but you can't help a sinner if they don't think they're sinning. And when I grew up, you know, I came out of the hippie movement, and, and when I got saved, I knew that there were certain things that were wrong that I needed to change my life in. But the same thing is true with our culture today. But, but what's happening is people are being so conformed to the world, they're not allowing the Scriptures to teach them anymore. I mean, Romans chapter 1, verse 26 to 27 are clear verses about same-sex marriage and all that stuff. It says that God handed them over to veiled passions. Say veiled passions. In other words, this is extraordinarily evil. And it says, even women exchanged what was natural for what was unnatural. So even men, it says, exchanged what was natural for a woman. And it says that they burned in lust towards each other. Now, that's a, chapter 1, like I said, is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's talking about that particular sin. But people say, well, there's no other scriptures on it. Yes, there is. There's three other references in the New Testament that I'm aware of. In the New, not to mention the Old Testament. But, uh, for instance, in Galatians, the fifth chapter, he talks about the works of the flesh. And one of them is called lewdness and uncleanness. Uncleanness is in the category of all that stuff. But Paul just is blatantly crystal clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in the sixth chapter, when he lists these particular types of behavior. He says, I don't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, listen, when I'm saying this to you, 
I'm not saying that a person has to change to get into heaven. I'm saying that those things are wrong and they're destructive in your life and you have to accept Christ to become a new creation so that that new man can change the life that you're living to bring the blessing instead of a curse in your life. That's what I'm saying. And so the New Testament is crystal clear on it, but yet I've talked to Christians and say, well, Pastor, I don't know if that's in Scripture. I just gave you three references. There's actually more. Ephesians talks about, in fact, the word uncleanness is a word that captures all of this stuff that I'm talking about, but it's translated unclean. And so when you look at the word, and that's not to mention the Old Testament, but people say, well, we're not under law. Okay, so I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt and just give you New Testament. Amen? Amen. What I'm saying is we can't allow this world to conform our thinking. And I'm not going to let my grandkids' thinking get twisted because of a world system that's trying to brainwash us. But it really needs to come from the parents on down. We need to study. I'm not asking you to believe anything the Bible doesn't teach. And I want to reach everybody because when Joyce and I got saved, it was after the, the uh, hippie movement. And, you know, it's free love, drugs, all that stuff. And when I got, you know, when, I, when we were involved with all that kind of stuff, we knew those things were wrong in our hearts. But we just wanted to do it anyway. But now they're saying, <clears throat> well, I don't even think it's wrong anymore. It is wrong. And it's destructive in your life if you don't renew your mind to it. So let's let the Bible tell us what we should believe and not let the world do it. Let me give you a verse. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, it says, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the uh, path of the sinner or sits in the seat of the scornful. Can you say amen, everybody? Amen. It says that his delight is in the law, of the, of the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. And then he says this, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that will bear fruit in its season. His leaf will not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, I want you to see something here that's powerful. The condition is he meditates on the scriptures. Now, I'll write this down. Meditation is not just reading scripture. It is saying what you're reading. Now, some people, if you look at, you know, cross-reference and definitions and so forth, they say meditation just thinking about scripture. No, it's saying it. It's saying what you're reading so that you can hear it. And I know that because of what God told Joshua who possessed the promised land. He told him this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. He said, don't let this book of the law depart out of your mouth. Keep it in your mouth to observe all that is in it. And then he says, you will prosper in whatever you do and have good success. Why? Because he put the word in his mouth. Hallelujah. So when I'm renewing my mind... I'm doing more than just reading Scripture. I'm reading it out loud. Because why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing about a word about Christ. Hallelujah. You want to build up your faith? You need to meditate on the Scriptures, speak the Scriptures in your life, 
And that's going to put you in a position where you begin to understand the last part of, of the second verse where it says, and you'll be able to test and approve what is God's good, what is God's acceptable, and what is God's perfect will of God. Did you know that when you were born into this world, Satan had a plan for you and God had a plan for you? The plan that God had is not realized until you're born again. Once you're born again, God begins to reveal to you what he wants you to do in your life. And in the pursuit of that, you go from the good to the acceptable to the perfect. Say amen. And the thing I love about the perfect will of God is the blessings abound in that area. It just abounds in that area. The good, there's some blessings, but not the same degree. Let me give you an example. Sometimes we read about the apostles and different people, and we think these guys did everything right. They didn't do everything right. They're growing Christians just like we're growing Christians. Amen? Like, for instance, the apostle Paul, when he was called, the Spirit of God told him that your ministry is going to be to the Gentiles, not to the Jew. Now, Paul was a Jew. And Peter's ministry was to the Jewish side of it. But Paul was called to the Gentiles. If you read in the book of Acts, you'll find that Paul one time, even after the Holy Spirit had told him not to go to Jerusalem, he went to Jerusalem. You remember Agabus the prophet took him and took a, 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 a rope off his robe and tied his hand and says, the man who goes to Jerusalem here will be bound, talking about Paul. And Paul went ahead and went anyway. You know why? Because he loved his people so much that he was willing to die to get the gospel to them. And it's crazy because his perfect will was to minister to the Gentiles. So when he went, go, goes to Jerusalem, he gets arrested. Say amen. amen. And they brought him before the emperor. So he ended up right in the center of God's will, even though he missed God in that particular area. So all of us, we struggle, and we try to find that perfect will of God in our lives. It's like David. David was, uh, after he had conquered the kingdom and so forth, he told God, he says, I want to build you the temple. And uh, God said, listen, I'm very pleased that you want to build me the temple, but you've been a man of war, so I want your son to do it. But because it was in your heart, I'm going to bless you just because of that. So there you see David struggling between what is good and what is perfect. Say amen. amen. And Israel, the people, you remember, they, they went to the prophet and said, talk to God, we want a king over us like all the other nations. And he went and went to the Lord, and the Lord uh, gave, told him that what would happen if they have kings, which was bad and negative. And they said, we want a king anyway. Well, God gave them what was good, but not perfect. So our pursuit of faith inquires us to renew our minds and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in the life and direct us in our life so that we can find that perfect place where we're in the center of God's will. And that's the place where the abundance of God flows in our lives. That's the place where breakthroughs happen. Because you can still be in God's good will and miss out on his best. Said amen. amen. If you don't think that's true, think about the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians 3. It says that a man's work, this is the judgment seat of Christ, somebody born again. If his work is burned, he will suffer loss, yet he will be, yet, he, yet as a man through fire, he'll be saved. Well, that's not his best, but it sure beats going to hell. 
Are we all here? Are we gone to sleep or whatever? Praise God. You got to do this. You got to pursue the center of God's will in your life. And it is a process. Well, I'm going to give you some things that will help you do that in your life. So I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. I want you to look at this verse. It says, The Lord God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Say it with me. I've dwelt long enough at this mountain. Now, this is the second generation. You remember the first generation wasn't allowed to go in the promised land because of the things they said? They said, we wish you to die in the wilderness. So God gave them what they said. And this is the second generation, and it's been 40 years. Now, you would think after 40 years, they would have been ready to get out of the wilderness. I mean, if you were incarcerated in a, you know, a sentence, let's say you were sentenced seven years in jail, I'm sure you would get a calendar and you'd start writing out that calendar, how many days do I have left? But some reason, these people were so affected by that first generation, God had to speak another word to them and say, you've been long enough at this mountain. And I want to say this to some of you, you've been long enough at your mountain. You've been long enough in the valley. You've been long enough living with that pain. You've been long enough living with the brokenness of that relationship. You've been long enough getting scraps. You've been long enough not having the center of God's will operate in your life. It's been long enough that you've been at, come on, it's long enough, long enough, long enough. Well, God wants you to stand up right now, and he says, okay, you've been there long enough. I want you to go in and possess your inheritance. I don't want to die without my inheritance. I want to have the inheritance of healing, the inheritance of long life, the inheritance for my children. I want to have an inheritance that I can— Come on, everybody. I want you to raise the bar up. I'm not going to put up with that mountain anymore in my life. We've had a bad marriage long enough. I'm going to speak to that mountain right now in Jesus' name. We're going to have a marriage made in heaven. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I'm not going to put up with the laziness. I'm not going to put up with the drugs. I'm not going to put up with the lack of money. I'm not going to put up with anything. I'm going to just remove that in Jesus' name. Now, you know when you do that, people are going to think you're a fanatic. They'll say, what church you go to? Tell them a river. The river's not a lake. It's a river. You've got to know how to swim to make it. Amen. Yes, Hallelujah. So, I think sometimes what happens to Christians is we have more faith in Jesus coming back, fixing things then we do us fixing things first to bring him back. He didn't say he'd come back and fix it for you. He said, I want you, he says, I want you to restore all things, all things, all things. And heaven's not going to send me back till you restore all things. God wants us to restore all things in America, all things in our community, all things in our family. He wants us to, come on, all things. Now, I, mean, I know you look at things that looks like it's not working. 
But as long as I got breath, I'm going to preach the truth. Praise God. God wants the church to change America. And you don't change America through legislation. You change America by salvations. By these people just need to get saved. They need to realize they need Christ. Once they get born again, they're going to do the right thing because the Spirit of God's inside of them. We got to rise up. We got to evangelize the White House. We got to evangelize the Senate. We got to evangelize the Northwest. We got to come on. I don't care if you're blue state, red state, everybody's got to get saved. You can't, you can't restore everything until that happens. You know, you can look good on the outside and do all this and do all that, but inside, if you're a sinner, you're a sinner. That's the way it's going to work. It isn't until God gives you that new birth and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just say this about Israel. The reason why they had to stay 40 years in the wilderness is because of a bad confession. They confessed defeat. They confessed lack. They confessed a lack of ability, and God gave them over to it, and they had to suffer for 40 years because of it. You know, it's amazing when they go in to possess the land. You know what Joshua does? He didn't send in 12 spies anymore. He sends in two. Got a better chance to only get two. You get 12, you may have a couple doubters and unbelievers just send in two that we know have faith. They send in two. You remember they come back? And then when they went in to possess the promised land, what did they do? God told them to shut up. Don't say anything. In other words, I don't want you to blow it this time like you did last time. Just shut your mouth. And I want you to march around Jericho seven times in seven days. And on that seventh day, I want you to shout. You know what shout is in Scripture? That's the highest level of praise. Being quiet is the lowest level of praise. Shouting is the highest level of praise. See it for you, the song. Shout, yeah. <laughs> and so he says, I want you to keep your mouth shut as you go around there. On the seventh day, when you shout the shout of praise, that walls are going to come down on the city. That's how they possess the land. Praise God! We ought to be shouting in church. We don't want no frozen chosen. We want people to throw up their hands, offer up a sacrifice of praise. We want the church to be alive with power. But we need, that's up to us, isn't it? I know a lot of you worked hard today, and yesterday a lot of you got sunburns, and you ladies are exhausted. I know... But you know what? I think it'd be good right now if we did. Just to stir up the place a little bit. Could we just stand up and start to praise God and just give God praise for Saturday? Thank you, Lord! Thank you, Lord! Woo! <laughs> Thank you, Lord! Doesn't that feel better? Turn to somebody right now and shake them and say, I'm glad I got your anointing on me.
And you can go ahead and be seated, praise God. Thank you for indulging the pastor. This is my second service. I'm exhausted. Come on, praise God. Now, I wanted to bring that out because I want you to show, this is the key. If you want to remove a mountain in your life, the thing you have to do is you have to understand the law of confession. The law of confession is you hold fast to what you said in faith. It's easy to do it in church, but what do you do after church? What do you do the next day? Because we're going to see later today in this message, or in this message, we're going to see this morning that what you say is going to be manifested if you hold fast to it. Write this down. In the book of Hebrews, I'm going to give you two references. Hebrews 10.23, Hebrews 3.1. Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Oh, I like that. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says, therefore, holy brethren, I like the fact he calls us holy. You know, that's not on you. That's because of God in you. Amen. Holy brethren, partakers of your heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Jesus. Jesus is waiting to hear you confess his word. He's waiting for you to confess his truth so that he can re release the angels. He can release the blessing into your life. Amen? Amen. So the holding for forth of your confession, and this is different than the confession of sin. When you confess sin, it's different. Uh, the Bible said, if we confess, he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when I confess a sin, God forgets about the sin. And I should forget about the sin. You mess up, say, Lord, I blew it. And then act as if you'd never committed it in your life. I said, act as if it had never done a mistake in your life. So you don't hold fast to that kind of confession. But the confession of faith is what you hold fast to. I'm going to give you a truth here that's really going to help you. Romans chapter 8, verse 2 says this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death. How many know that verse? Now, what people don't know is the law of sin and death, what it is. The law of sin and death is simply this. It's when you focus in on what you're not supposed to do. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. When you do that, it empowers what you're not supposed to do. That's why people under the law were always sinning, because they were trying to do the word by their own strength. And the more they focused on what they weren't supposed to do, they ended up doing more of the same. The law of the spirit of life isn't the law of faith, but it is different. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is to focus in on what Christ provided for us in salvation. In other words, instead of looking at my unrighteousness, I look at the righteousness he placed within me. Instead of looking at my flaky love walk, I'm looking at the love of Christ that's been imparted inside of me. And when you focus in on, you've been seated in heavenly places, you, come on, you have the authority of Christ in your life, and you focus in on, then when you do the word, you're empowered. In other words, you focus in on the gift 
You don't focus in on what you can't do. You focus in on what you can do. This is why people are up and down in their faith, because whatever you confess, you empower. If you confess weakness, you're empowered with that weakness. If you confess sickness, you're empowered with sickness. If, you con if you're confessing lack, you'll empower that lack. But if you start confessing God, God's, uh, God meets all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, hallelujah! You empower that. Paul never said, I couldn't do anything. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So quit whining about what's going on and start declaring what God's Word says. Stir up the power inside of your family. Women, don't do this. He'll never change. He acts the same way he did before. He always puts his clothes on the wrong side of the room. He never picks up his socks. He never does this, does that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You'll empower your negativity. Instead, you have to say, he's a godly man. He's a king and a priest. He's called to do great things. He's more than a conqueror. Man, when I see him, I see the power of God. Man, the Holy Spirit lives within him. He is the high priest of our family. He is authority over the devil. He is royalty. Now, I probably should have started with the guys and ended with the girls, but we did that. Now, ladies, how do, you, how, or how do we talk about our wives? She always spends too much money at the mall. She's always worried about this and worried about that. She's always tired. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. What you're doing is empowering the negativity in your life, which won't help her a bit. What you've got to say is you're a virtuous woman, as in Proverbs 31. I've never seen anybody as virtuous as you are. When you get up, the sun wakes up. When you go to bed, the moon comes out. Hallelujah. You are my morning star. You are the glory of my life. You are a blessing of my life. Man, when I see you, I fall over, man. You are a 10 double digit. Woo! I'm getting lunch today, I'll tell you that. But I want you, I know I'm being a little silly here, but I want you to see the concept that negativity empowers negativity. Positive enough empowers the positive things of the gospel. You've got to decide, I'm going to turn it around with the word. I'm going to turn around with the word. I'm going to go in that direction. Because we are ruled by what comes out of our mouth. You're ruled by, Pastor, I don't know what it is. I'm depressed all the time. I know exactly what it is. All you're talking about is what is wrong in your life. That's why you can't shake it. I can lay hands and cast the devil out for a moment, but by the time you get out to the car, you're going to be talking to Sister Bucket about, about your problem, and it's, it's going to come right back on you. The demon's going to come right back. So if we would just say, no, Lord, I'm going to set the bar up higher. From now on, when I'm facing all of these down times, I'm going to find everything in the Word that I can because I've been reading and hearing it out loud, and the Holy Spirit's been showing me things. Now I'm going to declare what your Word says. And all of a sudden, you'll be down here and you'll start going up. Woo -hoo 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 -hoo. 
And before long, you'll be walking on the water like Peter did. Amen. If God can use Peter, he can use you. Peter was a wild man, man, but he, God used him. Come on. People in the Bible are imperfect. They're imperfect. But God still uses the imperfect. I would be up here if that was not the case. But we need to practice our faith in the way that God's Word says to get the results that we, that we need. Now, I want to I teach you some things here. I want you to write this down. This is in Mark chapter 5. And it's verses 25 to 34. And it is a story about the power of what you say. One of the greatest miracles I, I've seen in the Bible outside of a resurrection that is recorded in three of the Gospels. And this is, one of the, this is the version that I want to talk about. In the story, it says that there was a certain woman who had a flow of blood. Now, think about this, ladies. A flow of blood for 12 years. And then it says this. It says that she suffered much from the physicians. and was no better, but grew worse. And then it says she heard of Jesus. And it says she pressed in behind him and touched his garment. Hallelujah. Amen. And she says, and she said, or kept saying, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. That's what she kept saying. If I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. After she heard about Jesus, after faith had come, after she heard the scriptures, because Jesus always preached scripture, and he was scripture. Faith came, and she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. She pressed through the crown and touched him, and then it says, immediately Jesus knew within himself, glory to God, that power had went out. You ever, you ever feel the power come out of you? It does. He felt the power come out, and he said, who touched me? And the disciple says, Lord, look at the crowd around you. They're thronging you. And you say, who touched me? Hallelujah. I want you to see this. This is powerful. And then this is so powerful, you hear this. And then the scripture says that Jesus turned around and saw her who had done this thing. Did you, did you hear that? He turned around and saw her who had done this thing. It didn't say that he turned around to see what his faith did. He turned around to see the woman who had released the power of God out of him into her. But she, fearing and trembling, fell down before him and told him all the truth. And Jesus says unto her, I love this, daughter, your faith, not mine, I'm paraphrasing, has made you well, go in peace, now watch this, and be healed of your affliction. You know what affliction means? It means the pain associated with the problem that she was going through. But notice it was all released by her hearing about Jesus, 
And she kept saying, because what did Jesus preach? He preached he was anointed with the Holy Ghost to set at liberty those that are in captive. She had been in captive. She, this had been going on for 12 years, continually bleeding. She had spent all of her money, so obviously she was a wealthy person because you couldn't go to doctors in those days unless you had a lot of money, and there was no medical insurance. There was, come on, they didn't have Medicare. They didn't have any of that. And so she obviously has wealth, and it's just dwindles down, dwindles down, and she had just done nothing but grew worse and worse and worse until she heard about the preacher in Nazareth who had got up and said, this is the fulfillment of the Scripture of Isaiah. God has anointed me to set free the captives. And she put her faith on that and said, if I just touch his garment... I will be made whole. Now, I know she probably pressed through it, but she was saying it as she was moving, as she was action. And when she came in contact, the power of God came. Whoa, Jesus. Man. That's an incredible, incredible miracle. I mean, incredible miracle. Now, here's something that you may not know. There's three references to this in the, in the three Gospels. And the one that catches me the most is in Luke's gospel because it adds to what happened. And it said that this woman, knowing that she couldn't hide from Jesus, she stood before Jesus or knelt before Jesus, and it says that she told Jesus and the crowd why she touched him. The reason why he touched, she touched him and how she was made well immediately. And all these people are listening to it. She had it for 12 years. She got healed immediately. How did you do it? I heard the word. I confessed in faith that when I touched him, I would be healed. And then when I touched him, I was instantly healed. Crowd heard that. This is why it says in Matthew's gospel... This is after the event, because when this happened, she was the only one that got healed in the crowd that day until after she cared, uh, shared her testimony. Once she shared her testimony, the Bible said people came up to Jesus and said, can I touch your garment? And everybody that touched him, it says, we're made perfectly whole. Hallelujah. Completely healed. <laughs> Woo. I want you to see the significance of what I'm preaching here. What you say reveals where your faith is at. If you get lost somewhere, how do you, how do you locate where you're at? You got to know where you're at to get unlost. Some people, Jesus would always talk to people. And I remember the man that son had a demon and he was thrown in the fire, thrown in the water. Disciples tried to cast out, it didn't work and came to Jesus and Jesus asked him everything that was going on. And he said, Lord, if you can help us, please help us. Jesus could hear he wasn't in faith. So you know what he did? He said this to him to change it. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible. He cried out, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelievers. It was enough to get the faith released and the miracle to happen in his life. What you say in your life reveals where your faith is. And I'm not doing this so that we'll be become faith monitors and correct people because of what they say. 
I'm saying this because you yourself will know, you know why it's not working if you listen to what you say. I hear people say this, well, pastor, I'm glad it works for you, but it didn't work for me. Thank you for telling me how you actually believe. You just told me you don't believe. That's what you told me. See, faith is an interesting thing. When you got saved, God deposited faith in your heart. The Bible said that you have a measure of faith. How many are excited about a measure? Now, here's what I want you to hear. A measure is enough to get you healed. It's enough to give your bills paid abundantly. It's enough to save your marriage. It's enough to save your kids. It is enough. You say, why do you say that? Because Jesus said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, which is little, 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 inty-pinty, little, tiny seed, the size of a head of a needle. He says, you'll be able to stand at this mountain, be plucked up and cast in the sea, and it will move. You got a measure. I got a measure. Come on. That's what you got. So you got enough to get out of it. You know why it's enough? Because it grows. It's wildfire. It's, it's better than weeds. It grows so fast. Faith grows so fast. Peter began to sink in the waters. Faith got too small. And, 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 Jesus, and Jesus said, why did you doubt you have little faith? His faith comes back. And within an instant, it went from little to big. And he walked back with Jesus to the boat. A pastor being silly this morning. I believe that there's a bar, not drinking bar, but a bar that you need to set your faith at to remove the mountains in your life. You got to get to a place where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're sick and tired of being sick. You're sick and tired of not being in the perfect will of God, receiving the best that God has. I want you to raise up this morning and say, I'm going to do what God's Word says. I'm not going to live in the valley anymore. I'm going to speak to this stupid mountain, and I'm going to tell it to leave. And when I talk about it on Monday, it's already been leaving. When I talk about a Tuesday, it's already gone. When I talk about a Wednesday, it's already gone. And I'm going to remind the mountain that you're no longer in my life. I removed you. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.